This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth as we continue our discussion in the book of James, chapter 4 today. Um, so, in James's church, you have found that um, evil springs from envy, ambition, from gossip, from words. Um, the church itself is struggling. You you kind of get this impression, but James is kind of turning into this cheerleader type of person, uh, trying to trying to get us excited about what what's going on in the world and how you can be the uh, a non anxious presence to the world. Um, I think the language actually kind of comes from James of this non anxious presence. Um, so there's a little bit of an interesting thing that takes place in the gospel of James chapter four and five. So remember I told you that, well, we've all kind of assumed and come to the realization that each of the subtopics of the gospel, I'm sorry, the book of James could be a sermon, right? Like it just absolutely could. And then the book of James gives you the ability to actually write that sermon using a whole section, which is kind of, uh, an interesting technique. Usually what happens is, I mean, I I don't do it, but there's, there's a style of preaching where you're reading the word of God and there's a verse that sticks out to you, but the, and so you decide to focus all of your attention on that one verse. My, my issue has always been, it's taken out of context, right? Like I can take one verse and God speaks to me in a certain way. That's that's great. That's awesome. That is, I believe, some sort of divine moment. However, I need to take that if I'm going to preach it to an audience, I need I need to make sure that it's in context. So if James is telling you as to be a friend from the world, like I'm looking at it right here, uh, then I need to understand what that means. Like, so I can't take just one verse out of verse one through 10 and say, this is it, which at the verse 10, I think is the humble yourself before the Lord. I think is that. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the, he will exalt you. Verse 10 is the one that we always use, but we need to know the context as to where that comes from. Um, so I, I mean, I have no issues with somebody that takes a passage of scripture and said, this is it. However, I think that it's also important that we have a responsibility. That's the word I'm thinking of. We have a responsibility to, to read the whole context of James chapter 4 at that moment. We are talking to an audience of the diaspora. These are the 10 tribes that are no longer in Jerusalem. When he is writing, he is writing in them, writing to them in an aspect of unification. We need to be back together. We need to work together. And Jesus gives us that ability. Um, that's a huge deal. Now, I'm not saying that they're saying stop being Jewish. Right? That's that's the other part that you have to be careful of. James does not say anywhere in here, stop being Jewish. The, the sermons that James writes, especially in chapter 4 and chapter 5, are aimed at how do we 
be who we are and work together in spite of that. Um, how do we live a different lifestyle now that Jesus has changed our lives forever? Um, and in that process, I think James does something brilliant in the way that um, I would use in, um, for lack of a better phrase, pastoral counseling sessions. We open up dialogues of communication. And James is one of our very first books that teaches us how to talk, um, which I think is awesome. So um, comments, questions before we get started? Okay. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say a lot of times people will say one scripture or take one bit out of the Bible and just use that one phrase, you know. Yes. So it makes sense that you do have to read before and after to see what they're talking about. You have to. You have to. Yeah, I... I... That one scripture might not be the foundation on which <laughs> it was right. the proper foundation. Yeah. I, my favorite example of this is the book of Daniel. If you read chapter one, verses one through eight, all of us, and you take one verse out of that section and say, here's where I'm going to stick my my ground. Well, here's the word I'm going to post my flag. It could be anything from. Uh, a, a circle in the sky coming down and celestial beings coming back and forth. And if you decide to pick one thing, people are uh, going to think that there's something wrong with you. Right. But people do, you know, I, I always joke about, I, I know Steven Spielberg knew about the book of Daniel. How do I know? Because he talks about Ezekiel's wheel and he draws and, and the, and the, and the UFOs and close encounters of the third kind, uh, I, he, he jokingly says he learned it back in Hebrew school. So like it, it, it's, uh, you, you can do those things, but it changes the whole story. So what, uh, what does the writer think it means to be of the world? So the writer is not going to be thinking of the world as in, global the writers thinking of the world that they have contact with so this is definitely going to be first century lens again uh maybe second century but most of us think it's first century um there's also this language of the, the diaspora so that world of being jewish underneath the roman empire that world um and for them, a global concept is just literally what they can see in front of their face. And that's hard. That's really hard for us when we read this, which is, I'm glad that you brought that up, Pam, because anyone who chooses to be a friend, friend of the world is an enemy of God. What are they talking about? What is the world? Literally about? talking about the Roman Empire, because that's their language, right? That's what I'm thinking. So. Rulers of the world, the emperors in charge of the world. This, that's that's literally what James is arguing against. So James was not a prophet. Yeah, that's hard to answer. I, I mean, it depends on your definition of prophet. Like a Hebrew Bible prophet, probably not. 
maybe our definition of profit, sure. You know, I think that a profit gives us the ability to challenge the way that we think now and for the future. I think James does that. I think a prophet in the Hebrew Bible world has a different definition. Like it's a, nobody liked them. Uh, and I don't think the prophets even liked the words that had to come out of their mouth. I mean, Jeremiah is a perfect example of this. But James acts like a prophet in the way that he writes, um, which is kind of all fascinating by itself. Let's let's read verses 1 through 10, because this kind of makes a little sense. So those conflicts and disputes among you, where where do they come from? Do they not come from your craving or at war within you? You want something and you do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and, you, and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Adulterers. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Is that what you all have is enmity or strife? Hatred. Hatred. Okay. Hatred with God works. Yeah, it works too. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world. Is that? Um... Okay. So it's friend of the world. And is that world? Oh, if he has gonna yeah, cosmos. That would have been that would make more sense for a Roman world if, if we use the Greek word cosmos. Uh because an enemy of God, or do you suppose that it is for nothing the scripture says? Now here's this is important. So the scriptures say anytime that you see James doing it, he is talking to a specific audience that knew in coincidentally the book of Ezekiel or Hosea which uh, goes right into Karen's language of these are prophets. Uh, and Ezekiel and Hosea specifically talk in such a way about the, the times coming. And so here, here he goes. God yearns jealousy for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. That's, that's directly from the Hebrew Bible. But he gives us all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your, hand, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and warn, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into de dejection. I don't like that translation. Yeah. Gloom, I like gloom and sorrow. Either way, what's the agony on me? Sweets, <laughs> is, is... gloom, despair, and agony on me. Yeah, I think I think that's what that really is. And then there's the uh, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So, do you see where I'm talking about? Do you see that there's three sermons here <laughs> that that we've probably heard in our childhood or lifetime? Yeah, the seven and eight is real common, you know. Mm -hmm. That's right. I have literally heard a sermon said uh, about 
specifically um you do not have because you ask you do not ask verse two you want something and do not have it so you commit murder and you covet something and cannot obtain it so you engage in disputes and conflicts and then they skip they skip all that and then they start here you do not have because you do not ask you ask and you do not receive and then they stop and they don't go any further if if you if you listen to the uh the old prosperity gospel preachers this is a real popular one and then and then they add on the part that Pam was talking about that so submit yourselves therefore to God give give until it hurts language right like that's that's where that comes from resist the devil and he will flee from you how do you do that well you give you give if we were talking about the interpretation of the world after reading that my interpretation of the world is uh, anything that's leading you away from mm -hmm. I'll say the Ten Commandments it's easy to say God but I'm just going to say the Ten Commandments I mean that is worldly I mean absolutely my interpretation understanding that that's probably all wrong I mean sure you know, I'm not going to dismiss that but I'm going to bring it into our world if it's leading us away from the Ten Commandments then that we got some work to do. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that. Because in verse 11, as we keep going, uh, it, Robert, you've kind of caught on to a lot of this idea through James. This is that there's this. Notice that he doesn't bring up a lot of the other Torah-based laws, right? These are don't commit murder, don't don't covet, uh, be, be, watch your speech, because if you do speak on something else, for example, verse 11, do not speak evil against one of the brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another judges another. Speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is uh, one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? Right there. That, that one is also proof texted. Um, and then it starts, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. So this is still before the temple is destroyed, right? Mm -hmm. My brain back. Yep. So yeah. Temple has not been destruction destroyed yet. Talking about them being mobile. Yep. So sixteen, as it as it is, you boast you boast in your arrogant schemes. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, they they cut that off. I don't really know why either, because because uh, it's in the Greek, right? The pretensions or presumption instead of arrogance. Yeah, I don't I don't know why they translated it this way here. I think the way that James has been translated, the the more I've it's been a while since I've read this, but now I'm reading it. I'm like, huh. I don't know why they translated it that way. 
Exactly. Exactly. Zillion sermons on 17. Oh, sure there is. He's still writing to, I, I just don't picture those in Jerusalem in that moment. But that's what he's indicating. I mean, they're, they're indicating that they're capable of moving to another city and, and making money. Maybe they're still talking about just the splash zone. People go into Jerusalem on, on pilgrimages and then leave, so it's a very mobile place. It's not like a Bethany or, or, or Bethlehem or any of the others where they're pretty much you're there all the time and you don't go far from home. Jerusalem has an influx of people that come and go because of the pilgrimage. I just, this seems to be now to the other 10 tribes. I mean, and, and that's it what is. you've been saying, but yeah. I mean, you know. Initially, it said that he was writing to, or he's in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem writing so, to the diaspora. Like, that's his. So, did they hang together? The Not the ten tribes, but let's just pick a tribe. You know, they're, they're moved off to northern Turkey or yeah. whatever that would have been, Syria. So, here's. That's not that far north, but. Without, without going too crazy, because uh, I could very easily. Anthropologically, once the 12 tribes get scattered, uh, we don't really have any record of them actually ever getting really along after that. Brothers, like the tribes, like the tribe of Benjamin, do they, they congregate in the same area? They, yeah, yeah, that's 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 what he says. Yeah, so that's the trick. Um, I don't think I've ever said this well enough, but one cannot be Jewish by themselves. So if you're a part of the tribe of Benjamin, you're hanging out or you're in the, the same city block as the rest of those. Like right. Like, <laughs> so the Frasers have that one road, right? Yeah. Right. That's where the, 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 the dairy farm was. So there's there's all of those Frasers in that area. Uh, and, and so if, if you were Jewish, that's the same idea. You you would have you would have had to have been within eyesight of one another yeah it had to be community it's it's why it's why you you look at large urban areas to find synagogues so like in tulsa there's two of them all of them live within a you know a, a certain radius not it's not set in stone it's just that's how that works but chicago new york detroit they all have communities just just a mm -hmm. yeah. side note you know. I can't prove this at all, but I heard a comment the other day that had to be, it's relatively recent, the largest Jewish community in the world is New York City. Oh, I would 100% believe that. And I don't know anything about New York City. It just struck me of, I would have thought, yeah, Israel, only because they're trying to get back, you know. But, well, the, slowly, like that's the interesting thing is, is that the largest collection of probably Jewish people in Israel is maybe in Jerusalem, but I would say that the, the, the little, what do they call them? The little camps of people that have formed small communities. I mean, their small communities don't even have a thousand people in them. So isn't that the prophecy though? Kind of all of anyway. they all have to get together and be nice and rebuild the temple. Like that's part of the deal and that's not going to happen. They also reference, guess what? Today. It's the reason most of them are, are why the New York community is so large. 
this little thing called the World War Twos. Yeah. What changed that? Changed everything. It's surprising. There's a large Jewish population in London as well. Right. Now they moved, and that and that's the same thing. After World oh, War II, they London welcomed them with open arms. You know the the it was just it was amazing what happened after World War II, where the UN divided this land and said this is we're giving this back, but they they either stayed in New York City or they stayed in London, and there's various small pockets. But New York City is fascinating because. In that place only, uh, you see all sides of Judaism. Um, you know, I've, I've said this, and it's confusing to us. <laughs> it's very confusing to Christians, especially in the United States in the 21st century. There is a, there's an identity of who you are as a race uh, to them. And there is an identity of the difference between your race and your belief system so you can be a non-practicing jew um and be jewish make sense um you can be jewish and have never walked into a synagogue um you can be a practicing jew um that goes to a synagogue that reads torah and they have you know the old days without the offerings and then there's the orthodox jews um and there are multiple layers of them you know, when you talk about Hasidic Jews, that's the Hasidic. It comes from the the word Hesed, that, that grace, that covenant. They tie their lineage all the way to Abraham, um, which is the phrase Hasidic Jews, which is why they have the curls and the prayer shawls and the hats. There's, it's all Torah based and they're very kosher with everything that they do. So. Even in the Jewish faith, it looks almost identical as to the Christian faith when there's 31 flavors. Yeah. I would just say there's 10 flavors of Judaism versus the 4 billion flavors of Christianity. Because we obviously can't get along in any way, shape, or form. But they've, they've retained their tribes. Yes, that's I what mean. I was trying to make. Yeah, that's the point. They've retained their who they are, their basic DNA, the they're they're a tribe. That's right. Well, most of the time, they the most of the time they can tell you where their family originates. Whereas in Christians, uh, we say, "Well, my family originated from Oklahoma," or "We my family originated from Scotland." We 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 have that type of idea. We don't talk about my family originated from uh, the tribe of Benjamin. In Jerusalem a million years ago. But they retain the, they don't marry outside of the Jewish community. They may bring somebody into the Jewish community. And, and I'm generalizing. Yeah, I was going to say, it used to be that case. Orthodox only now. Yeah. And they, it, it's a great question. So in the Catholic faith, it's this, at, at some point, they mirrored each other. Not again, not so much anymore. Only there's there are movements in, in the Roman Catholics that are extremely, I would say, conservative with their theological understanding that you can only marry a Catholic if somebody wants to be Catholic or you want to get married to a Catholic. They have to convert to Catholicism. Uh, and I'm I would say that most priests are that way. 
but I've known priests that did it anyway, you know, um, or they just say, nope, sorry, I can't do it. And that's it. Um, but in the Orthodox faith, in the Jewish Orthodox faith, that they still have the ability to arrange and create marriages and stuff. So, it, I mean, it's fascinating when you think about it anthropologically. This is all based off of this conversation that we're talking about here. The objective of us working together and you, I mean, look at how many rabbit trails we just went on in, in less than five minutes based off of sociological constructs. Um, it's amazing. Especially in the United States. Especially in the we, United we, States. We are the melting pot. You can't get away. From no, the there's no, there's no way that we can, we can avoid the idea that we are just of one people. That That's just, it's, I don't mean to be, um, pretentious or uh, what's the word I'm thinking of I'm, I'm putting my foot in the ground I, I don't want to be that guy that's causing a problem but I confrontational but the the idea that the United States is just of one people is is kind of asinine when you look at how we were created and how we have continued to move and then this idea that well we're only this, but look at all of the empires that decided to do that. They lasted a brief period of time and they fell. What made the United States different was, is the ability to say, I have the ability to agree to disagree with you, but we can still work side by side. And then we lost that. I, I don't know why now I'm getting on the soapbox, but um, I, I've had a really, a really rough conversation with this, especially when it comes to uh, the discussion of Bible, when 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 you have people that refuse to study uh, or to to educate themselves in the ancient languages, and and then they say, "Well, I just I just let God tell me how it's supposed to work as a minister," and and to me, I I, I find that dangerous, right? Like that's it, it, I have a responsibility just like they do. Um, it, that's pretentious. Thank you. So I, I, I feel like that's, and so when I say, well, uh, I'm sorry, you feel that way. And the conversation has to stop, right? Like then I can't participate anymore. And I hate being put in those positions. I haven't been put in those positions in a while, but I'm just saying in my past life, prior Perry, there was never a place where I could just have a conversation with somebody and they didn't, they didn't close it off. Um, it's, it's kind of fascinating, which is fascinating. See how I did that segue. When you start looking at chapter five, because if we have this conversation about boasting about tomorrow and how you have conversations with people, right. Being, be, be aware of not being like Rome, right. Do not be like Rome. Do not be of, for us, the 21st century lens of the world. <laughs> James gets nasty. Here it comes. That's what they would have wanted. I mean, all the way around. That's right. If if you want to eat, be like the Romans. <laughs> However you get there. That's right. I mean, well, and then, then here comes James in chapter five. Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. 
you have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the lords of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. Hmm. Uh, I have to read this part because I, I remember my professor uh, specifically pointing this out. Verse two and three, the tenses of the verb in Greek suggest that wealth appears secure has already begun to decay. It will become the destruction, not the salvation that we see in Ezekiel, a frequent contrast between earthly and heavenly treasures. Uh, this is a new theological construct in the first and second century that wealth is bad um, and Jesus was poor. So therefore we should be poor, but Jesus really wasn't poor, right? You see how that works? Jesus had a community that took care of him, that fed him. They never wanted for anything. It was the full completion of Torah. I, I tend to think we forget about that. James is pointing that out. You you guys did all of these awful things and you're horrible human beings. You stored up all of your wealth. You've kept all of this stuff. And the one that we are righteous one, you have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. Um, uh, this is not necessarily talking about Jesus. This is talking about everyone else, the poor. That's right. All of us are righteous. It's brilliant. James proclaims the worthlessness of riches. Grabbing a rabbit here, but how would how does Joseph not come into play in some of this? Joseph, as in storing that for seven years or the famine that's going to come. Well, well, that one's storing up riches for the sake of riches. That was storing up food for necessity when the famine came. I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that I can see arguing that yeah. you're storing up gold for so you can buy things whenever you get dispersed. Well, you know, uh, Robert, it's just because he wanted to, and it's okay because he's Joseph. He's awesome. I'm just, um, he had a Technicolor dream coat, so he gives you whatever he wanted. Yeah. I'm just, he was a baby. Saying that, you know, one of their heroes here. Yeah. It's kind of the not the same way. But. <laughs> I mean, you, you always have to bring out the logic, right? Like, uh, so the funny thing is, is that the Joseph story, the story doesn't go into the aspect of storing up in the storehouses for oneself. It's storing up for the people of Israel and everyone else. And that's why he sold it. And that's why he sold it. And so it's okay in their mind. God it's, told him to. That's as, exactly it. As God spoke. Literally, to God spoke to Joseph and said, this is what you should do. And Pharaoh said, okay. 
that's the story. <laughs> yeah, you go right ahead. And and the story is God motivated the Pharaoh to let Joseph do that. So that that's why it becomes justified. It's okay at that point. And and it and this is going to sound, man. I hope my professors don't listen to this. But if if they did, it would be this idea that there's this idea. I want to figure out how I want to say that. There's an idea in the Hebrew Bible that sometimes is really hard for us because it's kind of like uh, medieval. The first ideas, first acknowledgements, you know, first creation moments. Here we are. We we find ourselves in the in the presence of God. What are we supposed to do? You know, we're in a famine. Well, then we create Mashiach characters like Joseph and and Joseph does these things and God gives Pharaoh the motivation to let Joseph, Joseph, this lowly Jew who or Hebrew, sorry, lowly Hebrew, who somehow has been elevated to this great status. And this is I would I, I don't know, remember the exact terminology, but we refer to this as medieval torah-based stories that's that's in my head that's that's what's coming up there's probably a better terminology for it but by the time you get to james they're they're the sunday school stories just like they are for us you remember joseph yeah well, i guess that's why i mentioned him he's yeah got, he's one of their big ones he I is mean, and you know and he does share with even people that are not from our country a little coin mm-hmm transfers there you don't want to miss that no he's not just giving it away which comes back to you know here share your wealth that's right don't, don't hoard it for yourself my and, whole question is then it gets into judgment you know well i'm saving it for later well remember and then somebody's judging me for doing that or judging me because the well i was thinking about being a good steward there's definitely so you all have caught on to one of the problems with the new testament is is this idea of giving it's not a problem in a bad way it's just a it's a it's an argument of what what are we supposed to do we're supposed to give well how do how does one give well someone says Five, you know, it's one mention, by the way, in the Hebrew Bible, this 10% idea. And then there's a whole lot of offerings that you're supposed to do that don't necessarily equal a 10%. But there is this idea of uh, trying to find my, my book. I was trying to find specifically where this comes from. The, the, the idea of stewardship becomes a thing. Is what's happening here and those that are hoarding their wealth instead of sharing it are the problem and, and like you said jesus was rich because the community fed him yeah and i right. think, i think we struggle or not struggle with that <laughs> but you know we do get wrapped up in okay we're doing good because we got in the car sure i got this new or that new or we you know we got a bigger tv because this one jumped off the wall and talked attacked josh this mm-hmm. morning, which i missed i apologize for that you didn't <laughs> miss anything should have had the camera running 
anyway, we being human, we get caught up in that. But, you know, the, the reality is Jesus was rich because he had all that he needed. Right. Nothing more, nothing less. Just which I think in their time, and same with our time, just not immediately in this room, you know, being clothed and being fed is all you need. So there's people that don't have that. That's where I'm headed at. You know, we, we don't, I don't recognize it as much because I could, you know, lose a few pounds and skip a few meals and it probably wouldn't hurt me. But these people can relate to that. If they have food, if they are clothed, then they're rich. And now there's ones that are, because I got kind of in trouble for saying this earlier, but the Jews over the ages have been very good at managing money. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. And get some trouble sometimes, but they're, they do a very good job. They do a very good job of interacting with people and managing their, and probably because of the close knit community. Mm -hmm. One, there's a fear of God. Yeah, but there's there's a the a fear of the of God if you do it wrong, right? Like this is a historical. Yeah, yeah. We we have, we are trying. This sounds bad. We are trying to earn the, the grace of God. The Jews already have it, right? And they're trying not to lose it. There you go. That's 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 the best example. Uh, I I think it's. There's another part here that James obviously knows, and so I, uh, it, it's a it's a book that's found in the Apocrypha um, that we don't really talk a lot about, but because we don't use the Apocrypha, I don't know why, but we just don't. I do, but there's a book called Sirach, which I really like. Sirach, and there's another one called Baruch, but Sirach is uh, probably written earlier before the time of Christ, like really close to the time of Christ, right after. Probably the Maccabees have been put together. And Sirach gives them a conversation specifically about uh, offering sacrifices that I wanted to share with you because it goes right along with the discussion here that's taking place in James. And it's almost verbatim what James is saying. So he says, if one sacrifices ill-gotten goods, the offering is blemished. The gifts of the lawless are not acceptable. The Most High, a.k.a. God, is not pleased with the offerings of the ungodly, nor for a multitude of sacrifices does he forgive sin. Like one who kills a son before his father's eyes, the person who offers a sacrifice from the property of the poor, the bread of the needy is the life of the poor. Whoever deprives them of this, it is murder. See how strong of a language this is. This is moving the generation. This goes right along with what Robert was uh, talking about to take away a neighbor's living is to commit murder to deprive an employee of wages is to shed blood when one builds and another tears down what do they gain but hard work when one prays and another curses when one uh when when one to to whose voice will the lord listen if one washes after touching a corpse and touches it again what has been gained by washing so if one fasts for his sins and goes again, yada, 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 who will listen to his prayer and what has he gained by humbling himself? This is like, this is a, this is a conversation that obviously is still taking place by the time that James is being written. What is an offering? 
how do I give? If I'm taking food away from the poor, I'm killing them. Do you, do you see that? The first century idea? If this, this person, I mean, it, it makes sense then the parables that Jesus tells with the talents. Why would you go off and bury that? Why wouldn't you try to take care of it and make more money so that you could take care of your family? Instead, you hoarded it and now they're all going to die. You see, it's it's that drastic. Uh, it's it's uh, you you get this kind of idea that God doesn't want you to do that. Luke does this really great job of it when he tells the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? That, that they lied to the community and God strikes them dead. You know, like why would you do that to your people? Well, fine, you didn't figure it out. Well, we'll kill you. And as we're taking, uh, you know, Ananias out the door, and Sapphira lies with him it, be on his way out the door. Sapphira does it too, and. She dies right there. Boom. You know, this is it's this kind of idea, which, by the way, is a perfect segue to the last part of James. I think for us Americans, sometimes society almost forces you. I'm thinking right now, like the cell phone. I was fine with my iPhone 6. I had to upgrade because the system of the updates no longer were supportive for the iPhone right. 6. And so it's like, do you stay happy? <laughs> or do you move? I, I mean, went to a and then little kind of subtle things that are going on. I went to a workshop one time and, and uh, the lady, they got up to start and they seemed to pull out your laptops and and we always kind of looked at each other and she said, was it not on the thing that you need to bring your laptops? And I said, no. She said, well, pull out your phones then. And she said, um, you can use my phone, and she pointed at hers and her phone. Somebody can use that phone. She says, "Oh, you can't use mine. I have an Amish phone." She said, "What? I have an Amish phone. I can make calls." <laughs> nice. That's that's and that's this does kind of tie into that with this idea that what is it that we absolutely need to survive, and the things that we are giving is it causing people harm? You know, it's 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 a it's a problem, which, again, goes directly into this next portion of James. So he says, if you haven't noticed, there's this theme of suffering here lately in my sermons and titles, because it's 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 part of the lectionary, but it also is a, a major theme in the New Testament. So in James chapter four, verse I mean, chapter five verse seven, it says, be patient, therefore, beloved, Um uh, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and late rains. You must also uh, you also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do, beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors as an example of suffering and patience, beloved. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who show endurance. Those who have, I mean, you have heard the endurance of Job, which I find fascinating that they bring him up. But And you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my beloved, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. 
Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that, that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed for fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, uh, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There ends the reading of the book of James. He doesn't end it. I mean, I'm no just salutations. No yeah. salutation. It's interesting that they, the translators of the revised standard used beloved every time until that last time, and then they said brothers, but it was brothers all along on the first. Right. Uh, brothers and sisters. Yeah, it's it's of course that's the same word as as where they used beloved before, but that time they used brothers and sisters. But it's on the first. Mine only uses brothers throughout. That's what it is. Never does it. That's what the Greek is. Well, there was a. I mean, you know, yeah. RSV and RSV wanted, it wasn't necessarily about gender neutral. It was like, well, this, what they really meant. Yeah. It was an inclusion was thing. Inclusion. Yeah. Get everybody in. Get everybody in. And there, there's a lot of times that that works, but this is not that time. But in case you were thinking beloved meant they were really close. No, no, they no. This is family. Brothers. Yeah. Brothers. This is interesting. Therefore, confess your, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. So that you may be healed. I'm praying for you so that I can be healed. <laughs> and, and, and I, I see some value in that. I mean, people that I have um, specifically chosen to be a prayer warrior for, uh, even if it was 25 years ago, that person still has a place in my heart that's there that's different than anybody else's. So my praying for them affected me as much or more than it affected them. So praying. I think that's pretty important to kind of pray for others so that you can be healed. I like that. It's cool. It's also a, a totally different theological concept. We, uh, I mean, we get kind of an allusion to it in Mark. Um, and my my brother's keeper or something like that. There's this this language conversation over and over again. But James has assumed this is an institutional idea. Is what I'm trying to say, Pam. In my head. Well, and then the next verse, you know, it says, "Therefore, confess your sins and pray for each other." Yeah. The next is the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. Once you've confessed your sins, then you become the righteous person. Right. So, you have to again, you have to build scriptures to make it make sense. That's right. And again, I've heard one verse of this preached. I mean, probably throughout chapter five, I think I've probably heard 30 sermons off of one verse. 
out of the whole thing. I think the most important part as we kind of come to the end of the book of James is, is that there, the, the beautiful thing about James is, is that it can absolutely relate to us even though it wasn't written for us, right? It is, it's, it's the most relatable one that we have. Um, I've been thinking about this um, as we continue this discussion, like what are some of the other short books of the new Testament that we just really kind of go past. Um, and, and James is to me is one of the most powerful ones because as you all have seen, you know, we've only read five chapters and it took three hours, right? Like that's, that's a huge deal. I don't think I've ever heard anybody preach anything from Peter. Uh, yeah. Peter is, he, Peter's an interesting conversation. I'm just saying the books of Peter. Yeah. Uh, second Peter, I don't think I've ever heard quoted or, or used anywhere. You're talking about the short books. There's, there's, there's reasons for that. But I think it it's definitely something that we want to continue. Anybody else want any more that they want to comment on about the book of James before we end this discussion? End the recording, the subsequent recording. I'm glad we read it. Me too. They mentioned the devil. They definitely mentioned the devil. Was it? Um the devil was in it's chapter four. It's in chapter well, I've I've seen him in chapter three, uh, which I know we weren't there, but he's referenced uh, chapter three fifteen, because I was trying to find him. Up there he is oh, chapter God. four in seven. It says, "Resist the devil; he will flee from you." The yeah, yeah, that's devil. I can't avoid that one. Not that way. It's another institutional conversation. So now they have officially given a role for a new person. I know I know this sounds this is definitely a trail that we could go on for another hour. However, the short answer is in the Jewish faith, they do believe in evil. It has a name. It's Hal Satan in Arabic. They uh this is tied to um, Beelzebub, we tie it to Lucifer, because Lucifer is mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, but in he's this, the he's the angel that fell. And so, um, so there is a devil that tempts. This is a different idea of that devil. Now we, we're now we're, we've changed his name. Is my point? It was different. Now in the in the New Testament, Satan is confusing yeah. and, and i guess the only reason i i i'll never find it but i'm always after that day in back then oh it was you know february 14th we'll go for valentine's day and they woke up and went hey we're christians we're not we're not jews anyway mm -hmm. these things like that or part of that transition. Yes, this is absolutely. Yeah, this is a transition from Judaism into Christianity. Jesus is the transition. But I don't know how long it took any of the people to realize that. Well, it's 2022, and I don't know if we still figured it out. <laughs> yeah. It's 
it's a it's a frustrating thing. Newsflash. I don't think we're ever supposed to figure it out. Yeah, not not now. I think. Whatever. I don't think. It's yeah. Good. We're not supposed to figure it out. Because if once you figure it out, then you come with us. Mm-hmm. Well. Any of this stuff is kind of the the law. If you read by some laws, but like I am in light, a lot of things. Um, get rid of what is wrong and do what is good. And don't judge other people. One one thing struck me as it ends with, and if you don't think you have any power, because I sit there and go, I know it says that we can raise the dead, but I don't I've never felt that I could do that. I'm just not strong enough. I mean I'm I'm but it ends with, you know, if you pull. Back and read it. Anyway, my quick interpretation was if we bring, turn somebody away from sin, then we've saved their life. Yes. You know, and that is something that we can at least show them the way. And then, and we're not committing murder. Yeah. They, they have to do, they have to do their part. But I mean, if we just show them, and invite them to church. Know that at the time, I mean, it might be on down the road. My uh, first husband died of cancer, and when he was the year before he got sick, the minister started a through the Bible in a year thing. And friends of ours kind of bullied us into joining it. Well, Glenn was a Marine, and once you start, you don't quit. Well, then a couple dropped out in the first three weeks because it was too hard. He took his Bible and he had a little bitty Bible he carried in his lunchbox. He took it to work and he read his his Bible here stuff to his on his lunch break every day. And uh, when he died, I got a card from a lady who said, uh, "You don't know me, but my husband, my, my brother, worked with your husband, and his life was turned around by watching your husband read his Bible during his lunch break, and his whole life changed." And I said, you know, if there was no other legacy that you want to behind, that would be one. Because it could touch that one. Probably touch that is touched that one. Well, let's. I think that's a beautiful message to stop the recording on. <laughs> and,